Uh, welcome again to another episode of the 1% in Recovery. Any day and every day that we get to talk about recovery is a beautiful day. Recovery is beautiful. Your EQ is your IQ. <laughs> we should be laughing, working, and loving. Those are the three things that I say, man. You got to laugh every day. You got to work hard every day. And you got to love unconditionally. Now out, free. I repeat, free recovery scorecard to help a lot of people in early recovery or even in long-term recovery or people who kind of kind of go in and out, relapse. It's on the website, lifeiswonderful.love, L-O-V-E, as well as you can email me, Hugo V at lifeiswonderful.love. They will be in the show notes. Today, we are going to our first return visitor, Saul M. Saul, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Hugh. It's, it's good to see you here bright and early Saturday morning. Saturday morning, we're in the middle of March Madness. And that's what we are going to be talking about today. So if you don't remember, Saul had gambled sports, big time sports better, just like me, been in recovery. Now he's actually getting his counseling degree at SMU. So he has a lot of experience. So we're going to dive into these types of questions. It's going to be a little different because this is going to be more in depth. So question number one, March Madness. Everyone seems to go so crazy either around the Super Bowl or March Madness. Oh, you got to fill out a bracket. You got to do this. Tell me something. Do you think this is one way that society or actually the gaming industry tries to groom people? Yeah, absolutely, Hugh. I think it's a good question, and I'm I'm gonna say yes on that end. I think when you look at the um, structure of March Madness, um, it's very deliberate. You know when, what you're talking about with brackets and so on. And again, I mean, I don't want to sound like someone who's preaching doomsday over every little thing. I mean, I think there is a normal place for like a bracket at the office where people that know nothing about college basketball just put in random schools and don't think twice about it. I mean, that I, you know, I guess I could see some normalcy to it. But when you have all these things being pushed of, you know, fill out the first whatever picks correctly, and you'll get this deposit and so on. And I saw on LinkedIn, you know, some representative of a sports book going to a group of second graders at some school and telling them how the odds work and how, you know, the lower seating and the upsets and so on. I mean, if that's not grooming the next generation into becoming sports betters and all that, I don't know what is. I mean, I think that's pretty crazy. I don't know if you saw saw that going on. No, I didn't. See, I'm a big believer that I think for anyone to succeed in life, we need healthy competition. Whether that's in the classroom, whether that's on some type of field or court, some athletic endeavor, maybe it's even music or some type of hobby. But somehow we are kind of changing this idea of healthy competition for almost unhealthy behaviors like like gambling is con- is some type of competition when it's not. Mm. It's the same thing like they almost glorify alcohol. I, I see what you're saying because when you start to glorify alcohol and then when you stop drinking, people always go, well, why'd you stop drinking? Like something like there's something wrong with you. It's almost like mm-hmm. if you're at an office and you don't fill out a bracket, 
why aren't you filling out a bracket? You know, they try to make you feel <laughs> that happens, yeah. or there's something. Yeah. It's like, why can't I just enjoy the game and watch my alma mater or maybe watch, you know, some two schools that I seem like this seems to be cool to watch these two teams play. Well, you know, the other day, literally yesterday when I was at my part time job, um, the, the the guy, there's a guy who drives vans at the at the job from Mexico and he's just like Mexican guy and someone said why didn't you fill out a bracket and he's like I don't know I don't even doesn't even know what's going on and they're just like well everyone else filled out when he's like he doesn't even probably know what like 80 percent of these schools are he's not even from the U.S. like why why is he held to the standard that he has to be you know filling out a bracket to your point <laughs> it reminds me <laughs> an episode of the Cheers TV show when everybody at the bar, of course, everybody's male, except, you know, there's two females there. And there was Diane. There was this kind of ditzy blonde, you know, highly educated. And they were doing like the weekly sports picks. And they go, why Why isn't Diane playing? And Diane goes, well, Diane doesn't know anything about football. And she goes, well, I'd like to play this week. And then she started picking teams based on their team colors, like the green and blue this week is playing red and black and she would pick and she had this unbelievable win streak she was going like eight and two and the other guys were going like four and six and five and five two and eight and they go this makes no sense she knows nothing about football why is she winning the the bar pool and it to me it's just like that's almost as, as random as if you don't know the teams you're just like circling like oh i like the colors or you go to the horse race oh i think that horse looks pretty I'm going to bet on that horse. No, I mean, it's it does sound funny, but I think your point about it is very serious in the sense that, you know, the whole gaming gambling industry has entire hour-long segments devoted to making the user feel like they're getting some sort of information that's going to give them an upper leg on whether or not some random D, you know, D1 school, but like in some random small conference, if they're going to win or not. And, you know, it's creating this whole charade and this facade of giving the better some sort of control. When you're right, it might be just, you know, whoever picks some random name ends up having more success anyway. But you're being led to believe that there's some sort of art to it that you can just learn if you watch enough TV or something. Yeah, I just did an episode on that. should be episode 74 where I talked about all the time you and me and other people that we know spent on research when mm-hmm. we could have been studying, we could have been sleeping. And we thought that we had this upper hand, like we were, Oh, we're actually going to know how to beat the book because I did this extra research on somebody's run defense or their three point defense, you know, some, some random stat that really didn't matter, but we actually thought that we were doing where our bets were better because we were more informed on some some statistics. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, but it's a, a good sell from the industry. I mean, it's clearly, you know, I see on TikTok all the time, there's got to be a million of these accounts that try to come up and I say not interested, but uh, all these accounts that say like prize locks and like top Vegas picks and like all these different names that are basically the same thing. And it's just some kid in a basement, like with a chalkboard on like picking, you know, who should win. And it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. But March Madness, you're right. It's like a way to normalize the whole gambler's experience. 
All right, let's go into question two. Question two is about especially young males. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about in-game betting, in-game parlays now that would obviously have made me kind of crazy, you know, when you're, you're desperate, you're catching up. And then on top of that, you have the industry pushing this whole thing about responsible gambling, but they're pushing so many gambling options per game. It's no longer one or two. You have mm -hmm. now hundreds of possibilities either before the game, during the game, and they're talking about responsible gambling when I'm seeing that the industry is two-faced. They, yeah. they're, they're, they're trying to get as much money out of you as possible, yet they're trying to absolve themselves from any type of responsibility because they came out with one statement. What do you think about all this? My first thought is actually more of a question for both of us, but I know, you know you're asking me the question. I, I'll just say it out loud because I am wondering, at what point does this model you know, fall flat for the gambling industry because, you know, you have to replace your clientele enough to keep it running if all your users go broke because, you know, they can't keep up with their bets. So I suppose, you know, eventually they'll just have to keep repopulating the gamblers, maybe the same way like the alcohol industry just gets new people, the new generation hooked on alcohol. Well, it's also with all the fentanyl. Fentanyl is killing people. So mm -hmm. if you're killing all your drug users, you need new drug users if you're going to keep making a profit. It seems like all these addiction models, whether we're talking about the drug dealer, whether we're talking about the casino industry, the sports betting industry, is is there, to me, it used, you know, all the literature states, most addictions take about 20 years. Mm -hmm. But everything is now so accelerated mm -hmm. that we're going to, have gamblers go under in three to five years instead of 20. We're going to, yeah. with, with, with some, a lot of these new phase drugs, not only are they going to get addictive faster, they're actually dying. I mean, the, the, the number of OD debts is, you know, over a hundred thousand now when it used to be 30 to 40. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what's so scary. And they don't Yeah, I agree. It seems like a, business model that doesn't really understand the long-term game. It's all about short-term. How much can money can I get today? And not realizing that all these games are going to put people under faster. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm glad you, you addressed that. Um, I do want to finish the rest of your question because I know you did ask about what it was like young males that are accessing this stuff. And then you talked about responsible gaming. It was both of those, right? Uh -huh. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, for, for the young male aspect of it, I mean, I find it interesting because there is such a competitive aspect to it that I think is attractive to young men, especially from the start, you know, when you're on a book with your friends or you're betting, and every one of your friends is betting, you have something to talk about, you know, who's ahead, who's up more and so on. But I'm curious to see how um, that looks once a lot of these guys become more heavily influenced or even addicted by this product, because then I think you'll see young men that are a lot more isolated in their gambling behaviors. And um, it'll turn into something that's less about competition and more like you have a whole group of friends that started gambling together. And now they're all 
basically heroin users just going after their next fix, like independently of each other. So I think that the um, whole landscape is going to change in terms of, you know, what it looks like for young men to be gambling, because once they get hooked, they're not going to be gambling the same way they were when they started, which was a more, you know, sociable, um, competitive experience. Um, And I think in terms of the responsible gambling, responsible gaming tagline, go ahead and just fire everyone at FanDuel and DraftKings because I could literally in three seconds tell you something more responsible than they have spent the last four years pushing to the public. I mean, look, eliminate uh, basketball in Barbados. That's a start. Eliminate darts parlays. Eliminate these random markets that you know no one in the U.S. should have any clue about because you can't expect me to believe that there's anything responsible or entertaining about gambling on some random basketball game that you have no clue about. And not even that betting on the individual quarters of that basketball game. I mean, that in itself can't be responsible. So that's crazy. Um, And I'll just say one more thing quickly about that topic, because I know I kind of want to hear what you have as well on it. Um, I don't understand. Well, I understand from a financial standpoint of the industry, but morally or logically, I don't understand why there is such a need to achieve some sort of responsible gambling. Why do we even have to be gambling in the first place? That's what I'm really confused about, that you have to push to kids how they can gamble in a way that suits them. It's like they weren't going to gamble in the first place until you instilled this message in their mind that they have to gamble a certain way. It's like, crap, I wasn't thinking about gambling my lunch money when I was in seventh grade. I was just enjoying watching sports and being a kid. So it's crazy. Yeah, well, there's two things. Well, one, I think because the gamblers are becoming younger and younger, unlike before, when people got in into the trouble, when they were actually finally going into the rooms, they were 30s, 40s, and 50s. Mm-hmm. Now I see a lot of these younger high school, college people in their 20s, they're going to be more bailed out by their parents. There's mm-hmm. going to be more of a need where the parents are going to have to step in. And that's something that I don't, as people do not see coming because the sports betting is relatively new. We're talking really a year and a half that's, that's been pushed. And it usually it takes, like I said, at least three to five years. But mm-hmm. I can't, I can guarantee you by 2024, 2025, you're going to see so many more betters that they're going to be intertwined with their families. There was a statistic that I listed in my last episode that I'd gotten from the Illinois Council on Gambling. For mm-hmm. every problem gambler, eight people are affected. And I think people really have to understand that it's not just this, oh, it's only two, three percent of the population that has problem gambling, compulsive gambling. No, we are talking well, first of all, that number is going to increase. And second of all, it's not just that person. They're affecting their parents, their partners, spouses, their kids, and so many other people. And that's the piece that is where the, the industry knows. Like I tell me, I tell say this all the time. The industry is smarter than you. They know the they know the number. 
That's why so many games are pretty much on the line. They're being decided in the last two minutes, even the last five seconds of a game. Mm -hmm. Did it ever occur? And people think, oh, these games are rigged. No, that means they know the outcome so well. They are on top of this better than you. Same reason why they do everything in Vegas to increase you, to, to have you stay and gamble, gamble more. But yeah, that's the that's the tricky part. But let's let's actually go into question three, which is obviously part of what you do, what I do. Do you have any ideas on really how to help young males, especially young males, but young people in general? I mean, you're you're in your twenties. Mm-hmm. You're now you've seen things from both sides, from the addiction as well as from the recovery. Any any suggestions to? Uh, to young people as they're getting bombarded by all these gambling advertising? I th- I think there is a certain understanding and acceptance that there's only so much to do to get rid of all these ads and get away from all that. Um, I mean, the first thing I would say, and of course, this isn't addressing issues of recovery and character and sustainable abstinence or anything, but Look, I'm I'm no shill for any product or anything, but I I think it is important in today's digital landscape to have some sort of blocking software or device on your phone or computer to um prevent access to betting sites of I don't know that it's foolproof. I mean, when I was on these weird sports books with these kids back like five years ago, they they were sending all sorts of new links that could bypass it, but at the very least it blocked these major players that a lot of people are depositing on. So I would say that just to at least get a little distance away from it, just start with that. And then, I mean, for me, it's been helpful and I, I don't want to violate any rules or principles, but they're, you know, 12 step help, you know, that's the 12 step recovery program for gambling has been really important for me. And, you know, I was skeptical of going as a really young person, but I think that as more young people are admitting to this problem, it'll be less foreign to walk into a meeting and see other people that are in their 20s or even in their teens. So I think that's also important. But, you know, man, I'm, I'm a little stumped here because other than that program, I don't really know at this point what solutions are out there for, for people other than just going into some sort of a rehab or talking to maybe like a therapist that specializes in it or a coach that specializes in this addiction because common people that aren't gamblers really have a hard time, I think, understanding all the intricacies of the uh, addiction. Yeah, and I also think one key thing is since so many people suffer from anxiety, mm-hmm. I think the big question is is if you're feeling anxious, what do you do to calm yourself down? Alcohol mm-hmm. and gambling will only increase your anxiety. Because I know when I gambled, I became much more tense. Am I going to win this bet? You know, my anxiety only increased. And you were, uh, and even you were even with alcohol, before, yeah. mm-hmm. the what? Well, you were doing. You were gambling before. I guess it, it wasn't as quick, or was it when you were doing? Were you doing? Well, no, baby. You'd still bet on a game or a bet yeah. on a horse race, but you'd still be anxious throughout all that. Oh, I mean, it, yeah. You know, we talk about that, oh, did you ever gamble to, you know, release some anger or worry? Or did you ever gamble if you had a good time, you know, you were were feeling happy or joyful? The question was, yes. 
And I think really the key thing is, is to me, we need to push a lot more emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling anxious, well, why don't you go to the gym? You know, why don't you shoot some hoops? You know, why don't you read a book? Why don't you listen to some music? Because the gambling is only going to make this worse. And to me, I think those are the key things really to push people. Okay, how do you know? This is how you feel. Like you talked about going to a therapist office. You know, a therapist is designed to teach each person, you know, what are they feeling? You know, how, how to become more self-aware. Mm-hmm. That's no, you're, you're making a good point that I think I could have addressed is that instead of even waiting for people to become compulsive gamblers when they're 20, why not teach them ways to cope with their life to where, they don't even think they need gambling because I think a lot of these people need gambling to fill some sort of emotional void they have or make them feel a certain way. I agree. Mm -hmm. All right. With that, do you have any last parting words you'd like to leave the 1% recovery audience? Um, no, you know, I, I think I think we had a good conversation here. I don't think there's anything that was really left unsaid on those questions. All right. With that, we are going to conclude this episode of the 1% in Recovery podcast.